John 21, 318. Now on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early, while it was still dark, and saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. So she ran and went to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved, and said to them, You have taken, or they have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we do not know where they have laid him. So Peter went out with the other disciple, and they were going toward the tomb. Both of them were running together, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. And stooping to look in, he saw the linen cloths lying there, but he did not go in. Then Simon Peter came, following him, and went into the tomb. He saw the linen cloths lying there, and the face cloth, which had been on Jesus' head, not lying with the linen cloths, but folded up in a place by itself. Then the other disciple, who had reached the tomb first, also went in, and he saw and believed. For as yet they did not understand the scripture, that he must rise from the dead. Then the disciples went back to their homes. But Mary stood weeping outside the tomb, and as she wept, she stooped to look into the tomb. And she saw two angels in white, sitting where the body of Jesus had lain, one at the head and one at the feet. They said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? She said to them, They have taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid them. Having said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing, but she did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? Supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, Sir, if you have carried away or carried him away, tell him where you tell me where you have laid him, and I will take him away. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned and said to him in Aramaic, Rabbi, which means teacher. Jesus said to her, Do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father, but go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord and that he had said these things to her. Let's pray. Father, the greatest enemy on this earth holds nothing over you. That as death thought it had its final say upon your son, he shocked history by triumphing over death in resurrection. And now nothing can stop your kingdom from bringing the world, nations, and creation under your control. And so we ask tonight that you would show us our place in this story, in your kingdom, that we may be those who are living resurrection life today in all that we do. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So tonight, as you can see from our passage, we're hitting those big parts of God's story. The last time was the crucifixion. Tonight's the resurrection. And I don't even know um, what to say. (laughs) Studying for something like the resurrection is incredibly challenging. To give you guys an idea, we're just going to scratch tonight a little bit of the surface of what can be said on the resurrection. There's this guy named N.T. Wright who wrote a book called Jesus, no, The Resurrection of the Son of God. 
And that book is 900 pages all on this event we celebrate once a year. <laughs> um, if you guys are interested in going deeper on the resurrection, I wouldn't encourage you to start there. But I would encourage you to read his smaller, condensed version of that large work called... I just forgot what it's called. Um, Surprised by Hope by N.T. Wright. Surprised by Hope. I would highly encourage, if you have any questions about the resurrection, to go there first. Because that guy is the leading scholar on the resurrection. He's got it right. So that's why they call him N.T. Wright. Okay. But um, (laughs) this is where I wanted to start. In my teen years... And even a little bit older, I was, you know, I was always told that Easter's very important. Jesus rose from the dead. This is big news. And I would sit there and think, huh, but I know he's the son of God. And God's God. I mean, of course, he's not going to stay dead in a tomb. So it's kind of a no brainer. He rose from the dead. What's the big deal? It's like he did what we knew he was going to do. It's kind of like, it was predictable, at least for someone raised with a Christian mind like me. And so I was like, what is the big deal about this? And you look at the church as a whole, I think it's very clear that we love Christmas. Very clear. I mean, what's not to love about Christmas? Gifts, joy, Santa. Well, that's not the Bible part, but... um, The story of Jesus coming to the earth to save the world. We love that story. We get that story. We grasp that story. But then there's Easter. There's the resurrection. And we're told, this is big. And then we kind of like look at the resurrection with mystified minds and think, huh, well, nothing like that really happened before. Um... We don't really grasp the story of Easter like we grasp the story of Christmas. And so we're kind of sitting there going, Christmas is cool, Easter is important, but I don't get it. (laughs) That was totally me. So consider this, that if you took Christmas out of the Bible, all you're really taking out is a couple of chapters from two of the Gospels. That's it. Just a couple of the beginning chapters. And you can move on with the story just fine. In fact, you can move on without Christmas so fine that Mark and John don't even mention the birth of Jesus. That's how fine you can do without it. But if you take Easter and the resurrection out of the Bible, <laughs> you're taking the entire New Testament out. It wouldn't make sense without the resurrection. You can get by without the birth. Like, okay, so here's this guy, Jesus, he does these things, cool. But the resurrection, you take that out, what do you have? Nothing. You've got nothing of Christianity. As Paul said, if Christ did not raise, our faith is futile, it's pointless, it's in vain. So it is a big deal. What you've heard is true. It's a big deal. How do we see it as what it really is? How do we see it as more than Jesus just kind of like going, surprise, I'm God. And we're like, oh, yeah, okay, got it. We kind of had a feeling. How do we see it as more than that? I think to answer this, we have to briefly um, look at two very important events in God's story that we've covered over these 20 weeks of teachings and refresh our minds on what those say and then 
put the resurrection on the end of those so we can interpret them in the light of the story. These two points are Eden and the cross. What was Eden again? Eden was where God dwelt, literally. What that means is if there's this place that God created and he dwelt there, what that means is heaven met earth in Eden. It was heaven and earth co-inhabiting to make paradise and God dwelling there. Now, Adam decided that he would sin and rebel against God's kingship, thus severing his existence in the dwelling place of God. He was severed from that, and with that severance, heaven and earth were separated. Heaven no longer manifests itself on this earth. That's what we call the curse. And Adam, in being separated from this heaven on earth place in Eden, the Bible says that he died when he was separated from there. So now the curse acts as a veil, as a blanket that is veiling and covering heaven, and we're just on this earth. Then you got the cross. And when Jesus died on the cross, he did what Adam did. Died meant exiled from the presence of God. And we saw that last time when Jesus cried out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He was crying out, I am being exiled. I am experiencing the death of mankind so that I can go to the exiles and lead the exiles back to Eden. Bring heaven back down to earth. Bring them to the new Eden I am going to create and bring man to. That's what the cross did. So that's what we have is Eden, cross, heaven met earth, man died and was severed from it. Jesus died to come get man back to bring him to a place where heaven meets earth once again. Make sense? Oh Lord. Good. Yes. So, if when Jesus died, he went to the exiles, when he resurrected, he came back from the exiles into the restored state called Eden. So, he in death went to be with us, in raising from the dead, came and and paved the pathway that leads the exiles back home to Eden where we belong. So he pioneered that path. He made the path available. We, in joining with him in faith, follow him to that Edenic restoration. So, this is the point. Is that Jesus' resurrection, coming from the exiles back to Eden, that is laying the foundation for restoration. His rising from the dead laid the foundation for restoration. It was, the resurrection was the birth of a new Eden. It was the dawning of a new age. Now what do I mean by the foundation of restoration? He rose and laid this foundation. What does that mean? I mean two things by it. That the foundation was laid first in that his resurrection is proof that there is restoration. That's foundation one. Foundation two is that his resurrection is a prototype, an example, a model of restoration. 
So that's what I mean. He rose, foundation for restoration laid because it was his resurrection was proof and a prototype that restoration is here for all. Okay. So what do I mean that the resurrection is proof of restoration? How do we know that Jesus, when he died, successfully paved a course, a way for exiles to come back home with God in a restored Eden? How do we know that that was accomplished when he rose from the dead? It says, what I said I'm doing was successful because I conquered the obstacle of death which which remember that's what separated Adam from Eden that's what separated heaven from earth death separated him I have overcome death and I'm bridging the two back together so when he rose he said yes it, it worked it happened you can trust and follow me to restoration so that's the proof and John wants to show us four ways that the resurrection was literally the dawn of the new Eden it began it arisen it had the foundation laid right here on Easter. Here are the four ways. We'll go through them quickly. First, in verse 1, notice that Jesus rose while it was still dark. That's another way of saying very early in the morning. Uh, Now, on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early while it was still dark and saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. What I found fascinating is that all four Gospels make this observation. The time of the day that the resurrection happened. Listen to Matthew. The dawn of the first day of the week. The dawn. Mark says, very early on the first day of the week. And Luke, but on the first day of the week, at early dawn. (laughs) The point is this. When Jesus rose, it dawned a new day. It dawned a new Eden. The resurrection foundation is laid. The new day has come. Night's being turned to day. Look at number two in 1941. Notice this. It says in 1941, Now in the place where Jesus was crucified, there was a garden. And in the garden, a new tomb in which no one had been laid. Look at 20 verse 15. Jesus said to Mary, Woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? And check this out. Supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him. You see what John does is he paints the scene of the resurrection in a garden. So as he rose early in the day, this is raising the dawn of a new Eden. He's in the garden demonstrating it's happening. Restoration upon this earth. I'm being raised in a garden, just like Garden of Eden status. And G.K. Chesterton, if you don't know that name, you know the name that he influenced, C.S. Lewis. He said this. What Jesus' followers were looking at, at the resurrection, 
was the first day of a new creation with a new heaven and new earth. And in a semblance of the gardener, God walked again in the garden, in the cool, not of the evening, but in the cool of the morning. You see the pattern? Here's Jesus walking in the garden, and it's very early. It's the cool, not the evening, but of the morning, just like in Eden. God is walking through the garden. So when Jesus rose, the new Eden was laid. The foundation was laid. Number three, in 20 verse 12, we see that heaven begins to meet earth in the resurrection. As that happened in Eden, heaven and earth cohabited. You see that here in the resurrection. In 20 verse 12. Now, when Mary saw the two angels in white sitting where the body of Jesus had lain, one at the head and the other at the feet. So Mary saw, she looks in, the tomb's empty, and she sees two angels. Jesus had laid here. There's one angel here and one angel here, the head, the foot. And as she looks in there, what she's looking at is a replica or an imitation of the temple itself. Now, you might remember um, through all the series that the temple is that place where God dwells. Just like in Eden, he dwelt there. The temple is the one place on earth where heaven meets earth. And to the Jews, that one place in the temple was specifically at a little box called the Ark of the Covenant. And the Ark of the Covenant, called in many passages the very throne of God, the footstool of God, that's where he is. That Ark of the Covenant was a slab table with two angels on either end. And here Mary looks in, two angels on either end of the slab where the sacrifice had lain. She's seeing a replica of the mercy seat, the Ark of the Covenant. Right there. And the angels as, are showing as if, look, Jesus is risen. He's reconnected heaven to earth. And you're now starting to see manifestations of heaven on earth. It's beginning to pop up. Restoration, the foundation of it, has been laid. It has begun. And there's going to be that time when he returns and full heaven is being brought down to earth. But here, you're starting to see little holes in that veil. The curse being lifted ever so slightly to see little manifestations, little glimpses of heaven on earth. And the number... F- oh, and this is... um. This is the idea of Revelation 21.3. This is where it's all going. That that scene of heaven touching earth is going to happen everywhere. Revelation 21.3. You guys have read this, I'm sure, about the New Jerusalem. It's God announces, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. Hear that? The dwelling place of God is with man. Not man is with God. God is with man. And he will dwell with man, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. So the resurrection, a little glimpse of heaven on earth, because that's what's coming. Heaven on earth. And the fourth thing John shows, the foundation of restoration is laid in 13 and 15, verses 13 and 15. Mary is asked there by the angel, 
and by Jesus, why are you weeping? Revelation 21 goes on to say, Jesus will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, no crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. Jesus and the angels are announcing, the dawn of the new Eden has come. The foundation is laid. Weeping is over. Restoration is starting. Why are you weeping? So the new Eden has literally come, manifested in Jesus. He laid the foundation. So that's the proof of restoration. That's The resurrection is proof that restoration has begun. It started in Jesus in the resurrection. Now, the resurrection is also a prototype of restoration. You guys remember, a prototype is a model. It's an example. Um, I remember when I was at my uncle's, or my grandpa's race, he does these like um, sport car races, and um, I was on the pit crew. It was really fun. <laughs> um, they had these different races, and one of the races was called the prototype race. And what these were, were they were these cars that you've never seen before. They were uniquely designed for racing, not boring stock cars. I'm sorry, Stephen. NASCAR's cool and all, but they are boring looking. These were like cool, like prototypes. Just think what prototype looks like. It just looks cool. And what it means is these cars were the first of their kind. They were the first models to come out. They were leading the way of what else is to come. And... That's what the resurrection was. Jesus was the first of its kind of restoration. He was saying, this in me is what restoration to come very soon is going to look like for everybody. So he was the first installment on earth of the new Eden. If the new Eden's coming and being restored to this planet, Jesus was the very first piece of it. And the rest is going to follow very shortly. The Bible has, says it like this. In uh, Colossians 1.18, Jesus is the firstborn of the dead. In 1 Corinthians 15, he's the first fruits of the dead. What that means is that Jesus is the first of what many other people will do after him. In other words... We are going to follow Jesus. As he rose from the dead, we, in the same way, will rise from the dead. He was the firstborn. We're going to be following that. He was the first fruit. We're the harvest to follow that. He's the prototype. So this is what Philippians 3.21 means when it says that Jesus will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body. There's going to be this resurrection for all of us in which we will become just like him. So he's the prototype, the first, and we're to follow suit. Resurrected just like him. What does it mean? Resurrected just like him. How was he resurrected? He was resurrected bodily and physically. What I mean is a real human body just like you have. Minus the vanity of the curse and all those nuances. How do we know that Jesus had a physical body? That he was physically resurrected? 
And there's so many ways to defend this, but I'm going to give you guys just a short blah. <laughs> Two basic ways. Jesus appeared to his disciples, and there was an empty tomb. Now, the appearing, and those have to come together, because if watch what happens when you separate them. When he appeared to the disciples, you know what skeptics say? Skeptics say, well, he didn't appear physically to them, he appeared spiritually to them. They were seeing visions of Jesus. Jesus was appearing to them in their dreams. And if they saw anything of him whatsoever, it was a spiritual emanation of Jesus. So his spirit rose, but his body was still dead. Or, if you just point out the empty tomb, then the skeptics say, well, grave robbing was very common in those days, so all it shows is that somebody stole the body. He didn't really rise. But watch what happens when you put the two together. If you say Jesus appeared to his disciples while the tomb is empty, you cannot say he's spiritually appearing because then where's the body? It's, it's here with him. And if you look at the empty tomb while he's appearing to his disciples, you can't say the body's stolen because the body is right there with them. So when you put them together, you realize that Jesus was bodily and physically present before them. And they were all freaking out because ghost stories were common in those days. And they were thinking, he's a ghost. I know it. We're going to die. And then he said, give me a Snickers. I'm plugging in for that company. (laughs) He, He ate food in their presence to prove this is realness. I'm just like you. But then he walked through walls and vanished into thin air and stuff like that. So, this is not just you like coming back to life. It is a new order of life in a physical body. It is the new creation, the body fitted for the new Eden, the body fitted not just for earth, but for earth where heaven touches down on earth. His body is suited for both. So, that is what our body will be resurrected as. Physical bodies... Because his body was physical. And if our bodies are physical at the resurrection, when we all die and are resurrected, if it's physical, then that means we have to live in a physical place. Which means heaven is not some celestial, spiritual, well, I don't know what they tell you guys, place on the cartoon show. It's a real physical, tangible place. Because Jesus is physical. We will be physical. Heaven will be physical. Like Jesus, like us, that place where we will live will be resurrected as well. Whoa. And it makes sense that you don't resurrect some celestial spiritual place called heaven. You resurrect the earth because it's dead like us and it'll come to restored life. Jesus was resurrected. We will be resurrected. The earth will be resurrected. And we'll all live physically and bodily in the same place. Heaven touching down on earth. The new Eden. And when Jesus rose, it was the announcement. The restoration of bringing humankind back to Eden. That has begun. I have laid the foundation. When I rose, the new Eden dawned. And I'm also the example, the prototype of what all creation and all the nations are going to follow in. Of course, the nations have faith in Christ. So this is the example. So, 
That's the resurrection. Let's talk about living in a story that talks about resurrection. We will be resurrected. He was resurrected. What does this say about us living in God's story? There's a popular saying today in the church. In fact, there's a company based off of it that says we are in the world but not of the world. And I get what that's saying. And we do too. And that's why we really emphasize the not of the world part. We're like, yeah, we're not of the world. Cursed world this is. Corrupt culture. We're just like our holy hallelujah people in the church. And it's, it's created this mentality of retreat from culture and wait for heaven to rescue us. <laughs> we, we, we've so focused on the not of the world that we forget the first part of that phrase that says we're in the world. If we're in the world, we're here for a reason. And that reason is that we become the modelers of what resurrection life looks like. We are here to model that Jesus has risen. We will rise. The earth will rise. And we're to model what that looks like. We're to become glimpses of heaven touching down on earth. As if the veil of the curse is being lifted just for a peep every moment, every now and then in our lives for the world to see. That this is what it's going to look like when the world and God's people are resurrected. That's why we're in the world. Now, the idea that we're supposed to just like retreat and not show people resurrection life and just wait for heaven to rescue us from this earth... That comes, that's a plague, by the way, that's corrupting our church. (laughs) And that comes from what I call the plague of Platonism. Platonism comes from Plato, who basically, all this evolved from his simple idea that the soul is the essence of the person. And the soul is desperately dying to be free. It's caged up in this horrible body. And as long as the soul is caged up in the body, the soul's not happy. So the soul needs to be free from the body. So when you die, you become a disembodied spirit floating in the fluffy clouds of heaven, and you're happy. And for centuries, the church has been telling us, yep, Plato is right. That's what happens to us. We're going to die, and when we die, the resurrection happens, and your spirit's going to be floating around in the clouds with God forever, and we think, Oh my gosh, heaven is freaking frightening. (laughs) Floating. (laughs) Freaky, frightening, floating. This is crazy. We yearn for what we're familiar with. There are things in this world that God said we made it, it's good. And there are things that we enjoy. There's aspects of creation we're particularly obsessed with. That God's given us pleasure to be part of and to work on making beautiful to the world. And I don't think he intends for that just to be like, well, my creation was a nice try. Let's crinkle it up and say, (laughs) all those desires are fake. (laughs) We were made for this earth. We are in the world. We're not of the world system. But we are of this planet. So rather than thinking about the plague of Platonism... I think, I think it's actually Platonism, but whatever. I think that we should look at the blessing of life after life after death. 
Life after life after death. Is that confusing? It might be at first because this is how we're trained to think. By the way, I coined, I coined that off of NT, right? So, so, you know, I'm not that clever. Life after death is what we usually think of. It's like when you die, you go to heaven. Life after death, right? Well, that die, go to heaven is not the restored heaven that Jesus is leading us all to. That's a holding tank that Jesus called paradise. Remember, he talked to the thief on the cross. Today, he'll be with me in paradise. That's a little temporary paradise in which at the end of time, when the resurrection for all mankind happens, Jesus will come down and bring the people of that paradise and heaven to the earth. And that'll be heaven forever here. That, when we are resurrected to live on the earth, is the life after life after death. So follow? Life after death is, I die, I go to be the presence of the Lord. That's why Peter, Paul, Paul said, I wish to go now because that would be far better. Life after death. But the life we have after that life after death is the resurrection life. And that is far superior That is physical body on physical earth. And the earth becomes the new Eden. A far superior Eden. Where we have vocation. We have life. We have culture. We have civilization. We have creation. We have the king who is now telling us how to properly use creation for the benefit of the globe. And that veil we call the curse, we call death, will be rolled up and lifted. And you'll see heaven and earth perfectly in harmony. We only know earth as earth. We will, in the resurrection, know earth as heaven. And when I realized that, I said, holy moly, let heaven come now. Because that sounds better than freaky ideas about floating on clouds. Intangible celestial substance where you're like, I have no clue what's going to happen there. I don't want to go there. Okay, enough of that. So then this is what resurrection life looks like. Resurrection life reveals that future Eden, that heaven meeting earth, in little glimpses in the way we live. We are showing that resurrected life now. So this is what I encourage you, Tree of Life, to do. Don't sit back and wait for this. Let's be rescued from this earth. Let's be aggressive and say, let's rescue the earth from us. Because fallen man has corrupted creation. And in turn, creation has corrupted man. (laughs) The earth needs redeeming from us, not us from the earth. And Jesus wants to bring heaven to earth where creation is properly tapped into. It's cultivated so that we are then creating cultures. And we, this is what I say to you, Tree of Life, love this earth. Love creation, love the things that God has put in your hands, and begin to cultivate your abilities with that. Tap into it, work on it, obsess. This is now your vocation. What has God put in your hand? And make that so beautiful as to reflect the Creator Himself that people see resurrection life lived. They see heaven touching earth in the way that we handle the things of creation God has given to us. For example, not to be vague, and there's millions of ideas. I just thought of a couple. Like This is like what I came up with in three minutes. So, For example, photography. 
Man, if you love capturing glimpses of creation and God's people and using light in that way, begin to cultivate your art with photography and show people heaven-touching earth, resurrection life through your photography because of how much you reflect your creator in what you love to do. So photography, film, you guys know Josiah, that's what he's doing. Literature, I wish. Medicine, leadership, food, Oscar, anatomy, astronomy, engineering, construction, art, teaching, hospitality, fashion, baseball, business. Did I say music? I don't believe I didn't have that. Music, Noah's doing that too. Whatever you find in your hands to do, The resurrection tells us to cultivate that so creatively that the world begins to see glimpses of heaven happening through us on earth. Because the new Eden has happened in Jesus. We're in Jesus. And it's time that we start not saying, rescue us from the earth, but it's time that we start saying, rescue the earth from us. Let's re-seize creation, and let's take what God's put in our hands, the things you love to do, and begin to do your best at them in ways that God is looked at as the God who made all this and is going to restore it, and us. And so, Tree of Life, this is where we're going to be forever. Of course, much better condition than it is now. So why should we start saying, I'm indifferent to all this stuff? You're playing the part of restoration when you take the creation and use it in the restored way that God's going to make it. So heaven meets earth here, and God's given you guys things to do, things in your hands, things you like now. Run with them. Doing God's work is not missionaries. I mean, they are doing part of it. It's not teaching Bible studies. It's not being a pastor. Doing God's work is taking creation, cultivating it, and letting people see glimpses of heaven on earth. That's God's work, and that's something all of you can do. That's what we're called to do. So, let's pray. Father, we are excited and eager for our hope our confident expectation that you are going to return and resurrect our bodies and this globe. And we say, yes, come quickly, Lord Jesus. And as we wait, let us not sit, Father, and dream of rescue, but let us sit and dream of restoration. God, give give into our hands aspects of your creation that you want us to be creative with and to cultivate and to use. And we pray that by the power of your Spirit, glimpses of heaven on earth would be seen through us. So we ask that you would send your Spirit to fall afresh on us, that he would melt us, that he would mold us, that he would use us and fill us for your glory forevermore. In Jesus' name, amen.